You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and this is episode 41 of the chattiest plant <laughs> podcast uh, that you're ever going to find. I'm putting that on a shirt. <laughs> yeah. if, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to reference to what it's about, but I'm sure some of you may already know or figured it <laughs> yeah. out, but I, I just think it's hysterical. That's that's going to be my new t-shirt. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. wear it proudly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but we have a lot lined up for you guys today. We um, do. We do. This is the start of our like plant. Uh, I, we never really came up with a name. No, no, it's, we really didn't. Yeah, it's. Um, but we've mentioned in our last buzz, what we want to do is have uh, a podcast that's dedicated to forbs, a podcast that's dedicated to grasses, one to shrubs, one to trees. And we're going to be doing that one buzz each over the next, I guess, two months. I guess we better come up with yeah. a name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Before <laughs> we we don't have a name, but yeah. before we 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 do that though, I, I think it's important we should probably mention we're really close. We're what about a week away or a week and a half away from our one year anniversary? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Who knew we could do this this long? <laughs> yeah, that's... happy. So I guess in 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 essence, this is our anniversary show. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But we don't really have anything planned <laughs> no, for our anniversary. No, so. Yeah, I'm still kind of riding high off of last week's episode with with samuel thayer that was as far as podcasts go like they're i i love them all i love all Mm -hmm. the episodes that one i particularly loved like when we ended with him and hung up the phone and like hit stop on recording it was i i I don't even know how to explain it yeah it was uh I think when we we teased it in our Facebook group, that was what I wrote. I think I have a new favorite podcast episode that came out. But my mine's favorite's always been the next one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're always excited about what's coming up and rel- kind of relish in what we've we've talked about before. But that was there was a lot to unpack with that one. But you know, I I always kind of love the ones where we go a little deeper than normal, mm-hmm. which which we did, and I love that Sam was willing to go deep. Um, you know, and it's we we covered a lot, and I learned a lot. You know, yep. I, I came away feeling that I, I gained something from that one. Um, definitely. You, you definitely. know, especially – and some of it some people might consider controversial. And it's – you know, just think there's – you could be self-sustainable without relying on anyone. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a dangerous concept. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure probably in some sectors of even our government there were people that would not want you to know that. So it's – it was kind of interesting to really have that conversation with Sam. It really and was. And get his perspective. Um, and I think I mentioned in the lead up to that episode is it's something that, especially with coronavirus and COVID, people have been looking to source uh, more of their own their own food. And yeah. um, that's why hunting got more popular through, through coronavirus uh, last year. And um, I'm sure foraging did as well because people were going out into nature. Nature wasn't closed. I guess in some places the parks were closed. <laughs> yeah, they actually but, were in some but places. But if you had a place to go outside, you could go and hike and, and forage and hunt and do all that stuff. And um, it was a time when a lot of these uh, food processing plants were 
uh, closing down. There's pork shortages and chicken shortages and all kinds of shortage toilet paper shortages. Yeah, yeah. And totally. you could go, but if you were resourceful, you could go out and source a lot of this stuff yourself and not feel that shortage um, like they portrayed it on the news. Yeah, so. it it's a uh, it was just a real eye opener for me on a lot of levels with with you know Sam wasn't just an expert on foraging he was he was a historian about it and had a mm-hmm. lot of great knowledge and a lot of different perspectives which you know you really have to wade through that history of what is allowed what isn't allowed why you know how did we lose our connection with the land why is that so you know and and so many rules and regulations and laws and and instances and things like that trying to wade through that and and get that connection back and yeah. just kind of uh, reconnect. A lot of people ne- have never had that con- connection and may n- not even understand what that connection is. So it's um, hopefully that brings light to, you know, brings this conversation to a lot of other people and people start thinking that way. Yeah, it's uh, it, I guess I'll, I'll close up our recap of that and say if that episode doesn't get you foraging, you probably <laughs> you're never going to go never- <laughs> It's, but yeah, I'm excited for this year. We've had a lot of people comment just on the the picture of ramps, and they're excited for ramps. I'm excited um, for ramps too. But yeah, I'm excited for ramps and all other sorts of stuff. So yeah. I'm not going to cut down that big pokeweed plant in my backyard <laughs> this year. I'm going to find it and boil it and eat it. So. You know, here's here's a perfect. I I have a funny pokeweed story, and it was someone that I worked with at a at a few jobs ago was. Um, they were buying a new house and they were walking around and they were looking at the landscaper, the real estate agent. And they're like, oh, we grow this, we grow this. And they're like, I think we grow this. And the real estate agent was like, I hope not. That's pokeweed. <laughs> and they were like yeah. – and they were embarrassed, but it's like there's value to pokeweed yeah. in the landscape. And it's it's just a different mindset. So it was just funny how embarrassed they were. And today they would they could probably be really proud of that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we have – we we have pokeweed. Yes, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. So. All right, are you, are you ready to uh, kick in? Yeah, let's get going. All right. It's hot. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? I'll let you go first because this okay. this is a segment that's breaking our rules on Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. What because, a good start. Because well, it's winter. Yeah. You know, there's not a whole there, there's not a lot of Forbes right now that are hot. So. Um, I'm I'm gonna change my background just to kind of highlight what what I'm gonna talk about. So uh, my that's hot. I was kind of going through one of the houses, and right now it's I think we've mentioned it before. It's it's hard to pick out something that's hot because we've kind of picked things that have already mm-hmm. showcased winter interest, and we're trying not to repeat ourselves. Um, but I did notice in- <laughs> <laughs> well, that was bound to happen at some point. <laughs> so we- <laughs> we're a little mishap in in the office. Um, uh, well, good thing it's my turn. Yeah, you go ahead. Turn. All right. So, um, Inkberry Holly is my choice because it is uh, one of the few kind of very soft evergreen hollies that we have. Um, it's a facultative wet, uh, but it's commonly found in our pine barrens here in New Jersey and other drier areas. It's a mid sized shrub, and it's very soft touch, and it only gets six to eight foot tall. Uh, it's very common in the landscape trade. There's a lot of cultivars like shamrock, and uh, there's a variety densa, and I think Nordic. There's a, there's a few because they're supposed to stay uh, leafy closer to the the base. They do have a tendency. They, they're very pr- you you can prune them. They're, they they take the pruning well, 
but they have a tendency to lose their leaves at the bottom of the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we definitely love the straight Ilex glabra. Uh, it root suckers and can form colonies. It's the only real Ilex species to sucker like this. The other other Ilex, I have seen American holly sucker, um, but it's the only one that really forms root colonies uh, that way. And it's found all up and down the eastern seaboard uh, to the Gulf, uh, mainly in coastal plain. Uh, you can one of the highlights, and I know some of our listeners will appreciate this. You could dry or roast the leaves, and uh, it makes tea, and it's actually called Appalachian tea. Hmm. There's there's a name for it. So yeah, so I'm I definitely want to try that uh, this year. Uh, it has uh, blackberry, hence inkberry, um, and it feeds raccoon, deer, and 15 species of birds, including turkey and uh, quail. So that's that's a great one for it. It provides good cover for rodent, for deer, for birds. Uh, and actually, the the berries persist late, uh, so it's not really something that gets eaten earlier. And I don't know; it, may, it might be a taste preference. I don't know, hmm. but it's one of those ones that they persist in the spring, and it will get eaten more in the spring. So cool. I just thought it was a good good choice. It's not rigid or sharp like a lot of hollies that you think of. Like it's it's very soft, almost like. <laughs> Like it's again one of those ones where I walk by and I have to rub my hand yeah. like yep. across it because it just has a very soft flowing feel like kind of like you're like in someone's hair mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so it's um if you don't know that plant familiarize yourself with that plant it's it's a great one you can use it for hedging uh, or or just as a specimen it's a great yeah. plant yeah and I know you might have even said this when I was fixing our our, <laughs> our light light drop behind me but um. One of the things, I guess, a, a negative thing about it is, at least with straight species, they can be really leggy yeah. when they're young. Yes. But uh, but once they get big and they really fill out, oh, they're awesome. So. Oh, I put the wrong background back up. There we go. That's better. <laughs> so, so no, it, and and they take pruning really well, but they do. Mm-hmm. The new growth tends to shoot like really leggy growth. Yep. So it you, you can prune it really heavy actually, mm-hmm. and it it takes well to that. So. So I, I was already putting up my vote for Fran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an accident. So um, mine was uh, red twig dogwood or red osier dogwood or there's a ton of different names for it. Yeah. Cornus sericea. Yes. Is uh, is the botanical name for it. And, it's and cor- I don't know. You know, here's the thing. I'm not really sure if Cornus stolonifera and Cornus sericea are really two different plants. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure either. Because I know on, when I looked on Bonap for the, the nativity map, it doesn't even list uh and, and it's yeah i'm not really sure like obviously stolonifera because it's stolonifers and and, mm-hmm. and shoots and suckers but um yeah i don't really know I, i'm not sure but uh it's a cool plant and why i chose it right now is like most of the country we have a lot of snow cover here um and more on the way and that's one thing with this time of year it gets those red red twigs or red shoots yeah. and it really stands out along uh, with a white backdrop so it's more um i used it for aesthetic reasons yeah. i didn't look up all the other <laughs> uses for it i didn't do my homework this week but no but it's great and that's one as the stems get older they tend to get more green mm-hmm. um so again you can you can take that really far back you can cut it like back to a foot yeah uh and when it shoots up you'll get that red growth again it does sucker there again this is another one where there's a ton of cultivars and varieties out there but uh 
there's nothing wrong with you know because they say oh it's redder you know the stems yeah, get more yeah. red that there's nothing wrong with the straight species on that you can go yeah. you can go with that so i think those are both good choices yeah it's getting yeah. harder and good thing that spring is right around the corner and we're gonna have <laughs> a lot more to choose from in just a month or two yeah because it's it's getting to the point where like it's i'm not just coming across something now like i'm actually looking yeah to, for something yeah. that that is showing some really good winter interest mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. So it's yeah, I'm happy by the time we do the next buzz, we should be in March, early March. Yeah. Although yeah, with the forecast, we'll probably still be yeah. <laughs> still be covered with snow. Yeah. So all right, I think that that wraps it up. You got anything oh, yeah. else? No, that's it. All right. Wow, we're moving along quick today. Well, we got a lot to cover later on. We yeah, tease the whole Ford part, but that's yeah, at the end. That's that so, is at the very end. We got so to get there. We got to stop being so chatty. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so um, I didn't, you know, I wrote what the total was down a couple days ago, and I think it hasn't changed. I don't think it. Has. I don't think I it has changed. But the uh, the the winner of uh, the last uh, this or that. It was me, ten to six. It was actually, we got a lot of votes, and oh, yeah. it, it that's actually pretty close. Yeah, like I, I think, and Definitely. it was because I started off with a lot of votes, and then you started creeping up. I was mm -hmm. like, oh no, I can't, I can't get cocky. I gotta let it, <laughs> <laughs> let it go. So, um, we, I, I, I appreciate everyone taking the time to read the articles, listen to the buzz, and and vote on that. The more, the merrier. We don't know if you guys were actually there <laughs> yeah. on the last but or the last yeah, podcast. We didn't have heat on the last, Sam, yeah, last we had no heat. They're installing the heater today. More than likely, you can't hear it, but they're installing it right above us, like on this, yeah. on the, the yeah in the cross or not crawl space, but the, the um, attic, attic area, area above, above us. So our, our office here, um, and they're hammering away. They're hammering <laughs> away. So it's I don't know if you hear it, but we hear it, and it's just we knew it was eventually going to happen. <laughs> so. Um, so I think I'm going to go first since I get to choose. Right. I'm I'm up what overall the the four total to three. four to three. So it's still pretty close. Mm -hmm. We're getting more votes and the votes are getting closer. Mm -hmm. So um, just remember, there can be only one. All right. So my article uh, this week is called "Researchers Find Non-Native Species in Ho Oahu." play greater role in seed dispersal networks uh and the article is by the university of wyoming and it was published in uh phys.org phys mm -hmm. so um i i felt it was a uh a very interesting article and you were actually kind of familiar tom that you knew mm -hmm. that i they were saying oahu at this point really isn't a native ecosystem anymore mm -hmm. it's been overrun by by non-natives especially like a lot of hawaii is like that but especially oahu um and the researchers uh at university of wyoming headed a study that shows that non-native birds in oahu have taken over the role of seed dispersal network on the island with most of the seeds coming from non-native plants which which kind of makes sense um because we we talked about provenance and straight species and evolution with with birds and animals evolving with the plants so the birds that evolved with these plants which the native species are mm -hmm. bigger seeds the non-native birds can't eat that the seeds are too big for them yeah and so yeah. they're just not touching them they're only dealing with the exotic the exotic birds are dealing with the exotic plants they know mm -hmm. and it's it's totally taking over 
and and they're losing their their native ecosystem and it's becoming a non-native ecosystem so um they're saying it's one of the first studies showing that non-native species can take over the most important roles in seed dispersal networks uh, meaning Oahu's ecosystems have been so affected by species extinction and invasions that most of the seeds dispersed on the island belong to non-native plants and most of them are desert, uh, dispersed by non-native birds. Um, it forms what's called an ecological meltdown, which is a process occurring when non-native uh, mutualistic partners benefit each other and put the system into a vortex of continuous modification. So before Hawaii became the extinct, extinction and species invasion capital of the world, which I didn't know that, mm-hmm. um, its ecological communities were much more diverse. Experts estimate uh, estimate that in the last 700 years, 77 species and subspecies of birds in the Hawaiian archipelago have gone extinct, accounting for 15% of bird extinction in the world. So that's that's a direct effect with the ecosystem change and allowing invasives or non-natives to take over Mm non-native species um non-native birds are uh, a double-edged sword for the ecosystem because they are the only dispersers of native plants at the present most of the seeds dispersed on oahu belong to non-natives uh and that's a quote i can't pronounce her name uh vizentin bugoni uh many native plant species have large seeds resulting from co-evolution with large birds such birds are now extinct and the seeds cannot be swallowed so they're not being dispersed so small build uh passerines now uh are that's 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 what you got so it's that whole ecosystem's changing now is it an ecosystem yes but it's less diverse it's not Mm -hmm. operating the same so if it's less diverse you know it's not saying whether or not it has the same functions or if it's obviously it's not contributing to the food web the same way if 70 77 mm-hmm. birds have gone extinct so um it's interesting that i think i kind of feel like <laughs> like we're getting to see into the future this is what we're scared of and what we're talking about in new jersey and trying to prevent and you could see somewhere else that is happening yeah. Oh, yeah i just don't know they don't really it's great that the research has been done to prove that i would love to know how the ecosystem functions differently yeah. now and if it's functional or not as functional mm-hmm. i guess that would be the next it, are they losing pollination services yes um because of this uh, so the only reason i actually knew this was going on was um was through monarchs in the rough when uh there was a golf course that signed up for monarchs in the rough got sent to us that we had to source seed for them and we were having a heck of a time how do you find the hawaii source of milkweed yeah uh and through that program again we were sending milkweed um local ecotype milkweed to golf courses all over the country uh all over north america mexico and canada too um and when i started looking it up that's when well there's no native milkweed to hawaii yeah and then that's where it was like well there's really nothing or very little that's native there anyway it's just been overrun with other plants because of all the extinctions and and um and all that so that's the only reason i had any background in in your article yeah but yeah it's uh it kind of shows what can happen and i'd be interested to see what are the ecosystem services that they lost and is it balanced out now that you have a uh a non-native ecosystem there or is it is are they really missing something you know and that's I guess that's the real ethical conundrum there. It's mm-hmm. all right if you replace one ecosystem with a different ecosystem, 
and they perform the same functions that really changes how you approach it like is that mm-hmm. is that you know survival of the fittest that this these plants and these animals and birds took over for these animals and birds yeah. or are we creating that and yeah. what's the value of saving those mm-hmm. those things you know obviously you don't want anything to go to extinct you they all had a place functioning in certain areas mm-hmm. and if if you if you surpass or or supplant all these interesting unique ecosystems with one generic ecosystem what are you losing overall yeah. there has to be a loss that and then like, yeah like going even further it's what do you restore it back to and is it yeah. is it possible to restore it back i'm like a kind of uh far-fetched parallel is the new jersey meadowlands where yeah. it historically wasn't a salt marsh but because of the dikes and everything that were put yeah. up it became a, a salt marsh that was full of invasives and restored it to a salt marsh that uh, probably wasn't wasn't really there. No, because it was. I think it was proven it was Atlantic white cedar. It was yeah. a freshwater. Well, you can't go back to that. Yeah, but it's, yeah, you can't go back to it. So they so. made it a more function, more functioning salt marsh mm-hmm. that provides more to the ecosystem. It it mm-hmm. has it it contributes more to the food web yeah. than the meadowlands were typically uh, Phragmites. Like after. Mm-hmm. You lose all these Atlantic white cedars, and then you just have open space. So what comes in, yeah. you know, Phragmites, it was like the perfect – it was not high salinity. They were able to – it was perfect conditions, and it could outcompete everything mm-hmm. else. So you just had a monoculture. Uh, it doesn't have the same – I think we, we said before, I think um, Phragmites only host three Lepidoptera yeah. compared to, yep. you know, native Spartinas and things like the smooth cord grass, mm-hmm. uh, salt marsh hay, things like that. So it's – you know, yeah. it – it's I. Without the studies, I would tend to believe that what is there now is better than the Phragmites, even though yeah, yeah. the exotic I'm sure Phragmites. Bill Young can tell us. Or, yeah, I, and we have a lot of friends who could. They're probably listening, that. and they're going to call us up. <laughs> this comes out and straighten us out. No, but you know, but, and there are people that argue that hey, that Phragmites they're providing mm-hmm. uh, cover, and it's providing. Uh, preventing soil erosion and it's forming a function but it's not performing as good of a function as the native species so it's just you you need the next step in the scientific study saying Mm -hmm. all right even though you still have a functioning ecosystem which ecosystem is performing more functions not the best functions more functions Mm -hmm. if it's performing 10 functions at an eight i would rather have that than someone that's something that's performing three functions at a 10 yeah so and i guess that's the next step so it's i i think we're getting there we just and maybe the studies are already there i just feel like yeah i'm sure they're faster they're doing some of that research so all right so that's mine yeah mine was uh was an article from the new york times actually an opinion piece um and it was drawing some parallels to actually i should probably pull up the title it was um um, I don't. I, I don't have it on my other computer. <laughs> you know, but, I, I let me see if I can click, yeah. click it and get it to come up. Hold on. With how slow yeah. my computer's been running, it'll probably take for you'll be done by the time I get the. Uh, it basically was saying um, there's a lot of parallels between uh, COVID nineteen and our response, and how well, basically how diseases aren't just killing us. They're killing our trees and forests as well. Okay. So the, the name of the article, it's opinion piece. It's called Invasive Insects and Diseases Are Killing Our Forests. There I, you go. Yeah, I was close. Yeah. That's... But, <laughs> but basically, it's uh, it was looking at how 
how we've responded in the past to things like emerald ash borer, um, spotted lanternfly more recently, different funguses and diseases that are brought over from uh, foreign sources. Yeah. Um, similar to COVID-19 and how it originated in a foreign source and it was brought here uh, and our response to that. And um, really it was saying that we're, I don't want to say negligent, but we haven't been responding fast enough or at all to some of these these uh, insect and funguses and and other invaders yeah. that are killing our forests, as we did COVID nineteen, because it's not on the surface, it's not affecting us as people. Like COVID nineteen is very visibly affecting how we live our day to day life. It's killing people directly. Um, but emerald ash borer killed millions, probably tens of millions of ash trees across yeah. the country. Spotted lanternfly is is decimating like millions of, of dollars of crops every year and i, I think and, part of that's because it's unknown because these yeah. insects in their in their native um <laughs> how is that even coming through on we're, my phone this is we're having a lot of i got of i i just got a spam call and that's the ringtone from charlie the unicorn there you go that's my mentality <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my mentality level yeah. um these insects in their in their natural state are kept in check because they have their natural predators and, mm. and food source so no one really knows the repercussions when they come here how fast or how quickly and sometimes it's not right away they may lay low and then boom explode yeah. so it's yeah. but i know i remember even when when spotted lantern fly came i think it was pa state extension agents went to korea mm-hmm. to to find out you know how to how they deal with the problem and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we don't, we don't, <laughs> like, we don't have much of a solution either. We don't know. Yeah. So it was kind of like yeah. coming up with a solution on the fly. Yeah. And, um, but like spotted landfly in particular, that came over. It was an egg mass that was on a rock that came from, uh, I think Doug Talmy said it was from China, yeah. but somewhere in, in Asia, uh, and was used in the United States. The eggs hatched. And then you had a population, that, a growing population of spotted landfly that's now wreaking havoc across the mid-atlantic yeah um emerald ash borer was came uh in wood products and originated out of detroit and then it spread from there and then became a, a big time problem yeah. and um so we have some steps to try and stop this stuff but uh this is where i didn't like the article was the, well it is opinion too the author so didn't it's... didn't really I, I hate articles that don't offer um a solution and this one uh, they tried to offer a half-hearted solution but it was a, a solution they even wrote how it wouldn't wouldn't really work um, and that was they want said well why don't we just ban the, the um, shipment of incoming foreign trees and, and shrubs and plants well that's not gonna happen anytime soon at least so you know I I could see that that maybe someday we get to that point mm-hmm. where people realize the the detriments of bringing these exotics over and and how it affects our ecosystems and how valuable our native plants are but i i think we're a long way yeah away from yeah that. the the nursery business is a billions of dollar a year business the overall taste of landscapes across the like commercial and residential is non-native stuff uh, they, it's growing in the native sector but what is it a, a few percent if if, if if everyone knew the amount of money made off of plant patents yeah that's a lucrative business there's there's businesses that just just hybridize and find cultivars 
and and survive just off the patents. They don't even grow the plants. They just uh, hybridize the plants and and sell those patents. And you know, you think of things like the amount of money that's made off of honey uh, domestically mm-hmm. and and plant patents. That's that's going to be a tough fight. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're you're changing a lot of things and a lot of that's a lot of yeah. their that's their livelihood but but there are inspections that happen already uh obviously stuff still slips through they're saying that i think they've found like 800 live insects on incoming shipments last year well that's think about all the the sea trailers that are coming over yeah. every your sea boxes are coming over on every day and that's how much they've they found there's um even though there's inspections you, even if you got more strict with the inspections, there's only so much you can do with human eyes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. It's an interesting parallel that they're drawing between our response to COVID nineteen versus this, because this is the loss of our yeah. our native habitats um, is only accelerated by invasive species, and it's uh it's going to have long lasting effects on our health as well. It's just not in our face, killing people every day right now no and it's mm. you have to keep that diversity to to defend against some of these attacks mm-hmm. you know we talk about it all the time with provenance you you want um you want everything spread from seed so you get that genetic diversity so mm-hmm. if uh and you don't want a monoculture because if if a disease were to come through you don't want it to wipe the whole thing out like yeah. it will wipe yeah. some some will be lost some will not be and and this you know the stronger you know multiply and move on and it just kind of adapts you know it, they they learn to coexist they learn to adapt and even mm-hmm. though it may go down it can come back and you kind of need that so yeah. it, the more you take away from these things or respond slowly the harder it is to recover yeah yep so and and i love that that's being talked about in the new york times mm-hmm. yeah um, oh, that's yeah. important that's it's a, great exposure it was a, yeah it was a good start to a conversation that needs to happen it's yeah. um I can't. I, there was a quote that I was thinking of. I can't remember it now. But uh, or it's um, if you had a yes or no question, and if you don't ask, it's always going to be a no. Yeah. And that's this is kind of asking people to listen to this, listen yeah. to this conversation, and talk about natives. And yeah, maybe people are still going to say, ah, no, I'm not. I don't care about it. But there's going to be a handful that read it and say yeah. yes. Yeah. So it's a good thing that it's out there. It's in such a widespread paper like the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Because people are going to come across it, and and it's going to get that conversation flowing. I yeah. hope to see more and more of that. I do too. Over over the years, there's actually a lot of good choices for articles this week. Yeah, it was. I think both of us have really yeah. good ones, and and it should be an interesting vote. Yeah. To see, oh, yeah. you know, for me, if I had to pick between those two, I don't know which one I'm picking because yeah. they're both really good articles. Yeah. They both have great impact. Yeah. So. But in the end, I don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. It's up to our Facebook group listeners. If you mm-hmm. belong to the group, you can only vote if you uh, join our group, which just keeps growing and growing. Oh, yeah. Um, but just remember, in the end. And, of course, the choice is yours. So we got questions. Yes. With a yeah, twist. we got a lot of questions. We're, we're doing a little bit. We, we got more than one question, which is interesting. So um, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So um, I do want to – before we play the first question, I kind of want to follow up on the last buzz with Matt because he did – I was listening through, and there was one question he asked that we we kind of answered but not really. He wanted to know if there was an 
a seed bank after he removed the Phragmites, how mm -hmm. you would activate it. And we never really touched on that. We just said if, if the seed bank's there. Um, you got to remember, if, if any of you have seen our whiteboard ecology with uh, Bill Young on successional forests, it's kind mm -hmm. of like that. They, they need to activate that, that seed bank. They need sun and space. So mm -hmm. by removing something, you're getting the sunlight. They're getting the space. And if it's there, it may take a little bit of time, but it, it should activate. It should come up. So um, you just – once you remove that Phragmites, you want to you know, minimize your footprint. That's how I was saying you may want to – plant some plants to cover that that bare ground and mm. get something in but leaving enough space that if there is existing seed that it can come up so i just kind of felt like we hadn't i yeah. didn't address that yeah, you're right. I wanted we, to there was up. a lot in his question that to to address and we just we got so excited yeah. yeah we got so excited so but um we did get a a, a calling question from an old friend mm -hmm. and uh let's let's just play her message hold on one sec Hi, Fran and Tom. This is Carolyn from New Jersey, and I have a question for you. So I just finished reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall uh, Kimmerer, and it was a really great book, and I really love the part where she was talking about goldenrods and asters um, and how those colors, the purples and the yellows, complement each other. Um, and really, you know, draws the eye in not just of people, but also of pollinating insects. And I wanted to know if you had any other combination of recommendations of plants that I or anybody else could plant together that would help uh, draw in pollinators, but specifically going with complementary plants. So a grouping of different species that I, that I could put together that would be really powerful. Thanks so much. So I thought that was a fantastic question, and, mm -hmm. th and that kind of leads into um, our Forbes uh, section on yeah. this. So oh, yeah. I, I didn't feel as comfortable – you know, like anything else, when I when I don't know the answer, I know where to go to get the answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not confident with my design standpoint, and I'm colorblind, so I'm not confident to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how well you feel about it. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a plant designer either, and I have a couple – couple ideas but i'm gonna let our our expert we brought in yeah. answer first so like we said when we don't know when we don't have a great answer we know where to get the answer so we decided to phone a friend uh on this one and we brought back uh a former guest in kelly gill from the Cersei society to answer uh carolyn's question so here we go hi fran and tom this is kelly gill calling from collingswood new jersey and I'm calling in reference to the message that Carolyn from New Jersey left about color combinations for our native plants in meadows. Um, she mentioned goldenrods and asters, and I completely agree. Um, that's, that's such a great color combination. In fact, complementary colors. Um, but we have so many ways to plan for those types of aesthetic appeals. Um, and still provide value to our pollinators and other wildlife. So in early spring, I really love the combination of penstemons with the white or pink bell-shaped flowers, so penstemon hirsutus and digitalis, with our native spiderworts, 
which also have a very whimsical um, grass-like foliage that's dark green, which makes those purples and whites pop in the landscape. In summer through fall, we have lots of things we can dedicate um, in our meadow planning. So we've had some people that have done memorial meadows planting red, white, and blue flowers or red, red white, and purple. Um, I personally love purples and pinks of summers, so things like coneflowers and monarda, um, especially with our grasses like big blue stem, those dark green tall grasses really complement those flower colors and, again, make them pop um, in the landscape. So I'd like to mention to not forget those grasses and sedges, you know, um, things in wetland areas like um, <clears throat> cardinal flower and our sedges that are dark green or bluish green really complement each other in color. And if you're looking for more information on selecting species that are great for pollinators and wildlife that fit the conditions of your landscape um, or the site you're working on, and you want to have some sort of theme, whether it be a memorial garden or just your favorite colors, um, let me know. You could contact me at kelly at xerces.org. Uh, that's my email address, and I'd be happy to help you select plants. And I'm sure Tom and Fran have a lot of great suggestions as well. Carolyn, thank you for this wonderful question. I think it's important to change the way people perceive our landscape and what's beautiful and I also love the book Braiding Sweetgrass. I hope you have a great day. Bye! I, I don't have any suggestions, <laughs> but I think Kelly had some incredible suggestions. Even just hearing them, I was like, wow, that those are great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just want to mention, I need to read Braiding Sweetgrass. That just is a book that just keeps coming up in our Facebook yeah. group and our calls, and I haven't done it yet. And so, um, I'll even add that we uh, we actually got a lot of requests for that in the Facebook group yeah. right after we had Sam Thayer on. Yeah. And um, so I said, well, why don't I just shoot her an email? And I haven't got a response yet. Okay. But I did send an email, invite her to come on, and hopefully we get Robin Wall Kimmerer on. That would be wonderful. Soon. And I, I, I am going out there saying i will start reading that book yeah. soon in the yeah. next in the next week i'll start there we go how's that for a yeah. commitment so I'll yeah so that ho commitment. that's hopefully something that we is is going to happen fairly quickly um do you have any have on. do you have any suggestions i do yeah and this is mostly um just from i shouldn't even say experience but just from uh like i guess happy accidents <laughs> the okay. way to put it right. in my own garden uh one of the combinations i really liked this past year um, was the combination of uh, Monarda didima mm -hmm. and um, uh, what, Cardinal Flower, oh. but combined with, uh, it was Rebecca Triloba. And now that's actually, I learned from an actual uh, landscape architect that putting red and yellow together is not a, a um, not something that they really like in the American landscape. They don't like wow. putting red and yellow together. I guess it's popular in Asia, specifically okay. China. Um, I guess that's a Chinese flag okay, is yes. one of the reasons yeah. why. But in America, that's not a combination that you find that often. And a lot of people don't like it because it, they're two very strong colors. Yeah. But, um, but you know, and, but and I really loved it. Minarda Didima is bee balm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you said lobelia, but it's cardinal flower. Cardinal I don't flower, remember yeah. Rudbecki Triloba uh, what is, is, the common um, name for that. 
Oh, now I'm forgetting. I, I don't remember. It looks. It's very similar to a Black Eyed Susan. It's, yeah, but um, it's like a smaller petal. Smaller petal, uh, just a smaller flower head, and yeah. mine in particular got really full of flowers. The only complaint I had with that combination of plants was the Rebecca trilobo got a little bit tall. Yeah. I have another section in my garden that is um, another happy accident, I guess, where it's uh, Rebecca fulgida, which stays shorter. And I think that would really be a cool combo with the the uh, that- the cardinal flower shoots come up. This is this is very Claudia West. Esque and both here. at the you so know cardinal heights and everything cardinal flower and rudbeckia fulgida which is which is orange cone flower mm-hmm. um, both have basal foliage uh, really nice basal foliage yeah. so that combination gives you like a nice ground cover uh, in the early spring before mm-hmm. they they sh- um, push up the flower shoots and it's the most of the height are the flowers on both of those species so it's yeah. that's a good mix the one thing I like about uh, Minarda didyma to me it smells like Fruit Loops. Really? <laughs> yeah, I kind of. I get think that. most people say mint, but yeah. Oh, to me, I get like a Fruit yeah. Loop like scent from it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why that is, but so some of the other combinations I really like was we have a wild area in our nursery in up mm-hmm. in upstate New York, and um, this September I actually put a picture of this on our our uh, Instagram page, um, but there was a combination of goldenrods with New York ironweed. And the New York Island is like six or seven feet tall. Yeah. But the goldenrods were like almost as tall. And it was really, that was a cool combo. And then you had some uh, some cardinal flower in front of that that looked really cool. Oh, very nice. Um, and even some of the, in that picture, you'll see it, some of the uh, goldenrods actually gone to seed already. It's okay. it's a lot colder climate up yeah. there than we are, we are in New Jersey. So, and in September, that wasn't that odd. But um, that red and white or grayish white of the seed heads with the cardinal flower looked really cool as well. Uh, and then from our demo garden at our other farm here, uh, just the combination of uh, New York aster and then um, white wood aster oh, was a really nice. yeah. good, com- really cool combination. Just white and purple together. That looked really nice for the yeah. fall. So And, and everything we're, we're mentioning has great pollinator yeah. benefits as mm-hmm. well. So... Um, you can imagine the the sea of pollinators that would enjoy that yeah i'm looking forward i don't know if this is going to be a good combination or not but i'm looking forward to um just in in my garden is uh i have penstemon digitalis um uh, baptisia australis which is wild blue indigo and then um coreopsis lanceolata in one spot but there's i only planted them a year ago so they're a little bit immature they're not up to full size yet, but I'm look. I think that I thought that would be a cool combo to give it a little bit of brightness. The the Coreopsis in the front, then the Penstemon and uh, is just behind that, and the Baptizia is kind of behind it. So I think it's going to work well. But I'll take if, pictures of what this year. If, and hopefully, it'll be big if, enough. If anyone is planting or growing from seed, the Baptizia, be patient because it yes. takes oh, a yeah. few years before you start getting blooms on that. Mm-hmm. So don't expect you know blooms right away i think it takes two to three years yeah before yeah, you start I, so seeing i was blooms. working with yeah. an overwintered plant when i planted in yeah. last or excuse me two springs ago so this was actually his third year and i had okay. a couple a couple flowers but not like when they're full full size so. yeah yeah so just be patient with that one yeah. so but those are some great su- yeah. suggestions yeah. carolyn and and of course for those of you who may not have recognized her voice, Carolyn is a former guest also from yep. the, the yep. Caroline Clauba from the Sourland Conservancy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we appreciate you calling in and asking questions. Kelly, thank you so much for, for answering, uh, being our phone-a-friend mm-hmm. on that one. There is one more 
phone call. Oh. From our friend Saul. <laughs> Saul, it's been a, it's I'm been glad, a, actually. It's, we haven't heard from him it, in a while. It's been a few. So. I, I actually kind of miss. Uh, I thought we got a little too negative the last time, and he wasn't going to call back. No, oh, but well, he called back. He called back. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. All right. Hello, you pine nuts. It's me, your friend Saul, calling uh, calling you from New Jersey. And I'm, I'm doing, I'm okay, I guess. I'm, I'm making myself a cup of the winterberry tea. Uh, from the Golfiria, the procumbens, um, because I have, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was some type of a badger or p- perhaps a wolverine in my garden. So I ran outside quick to shoo it away and I threw a boot at it and I, I hurt my elbow and it, it is very painful for me. Anyway, I, I need to make an amendment and I want to apologize, Pam, to your, your colleague there. Tom, who I believe I might have called John or Jim, or perhaps little Timmy, I forget. Anyway, I know he is Tom. Tom it is. And I will remember him always uh, because he invented that Tom Tom Go, the, the navigation system. Um, so I'm calling uh, for the basis of good karma. And much like a common gear, which was uh, a lot of people didn't know this, Tim, it was a Volkswagen. But nobody knew. So we all went out and bought Peugeots instead. Uh, but, but okay, all right, my, my droopy coneflower friend, I need some advice, please. You recall we spoke a bit on the topic of the natives uh, for my, my garden of loneliness, which is doing quite well. But I planted the Forbes, you know it, the Forbes. And I was looking out the garden just now, and I don't see the tops of the dawn things. And I, I was curious. Are they what they are called doorknob plants? You know a doorknob plant that goes into hiding, like under covers uh, during the winter, dead as a doorknob, I believe is where the, the terminology comes from. But then, surprise, in the spring they come back. I believe it is called a state of doorknob or something. I, I forget. Because I looked up the Forbes, uh, Pam, and, and Tom, Tom, I remember, and I saw some old guy, Forbes, and he was wearing a leather outfit, all shiny. And he was with Elizabeth Taylor, and it was all fancy, and he was riding a scooter. And I don't think that's the same thing, because I have a scooter, but I had it before I bought the Forbes. So I am very, very confused from this. And I would like a discussion, please, fellas, on the Forbes. Now, also, Pam, I liked when you held up the card for the random uh, topic. And it made me think of, of my old friend Brian Eno with the oblique strategies. And I think that is very wise of you. And also, if you have um, any, like, hats or warm winter gloves uh, with the name, the pine nuts on it, I could really use it because it's a bit chilly. Okay, fellas, my name is Saul. Th- thank you. <laughs> I guess I'll start off and say that by nickname, just by going to high school. Yeah. Um, at the time that the Tom Tom GPS came out, <laughs> I think every Tom became Tom Tom. <laughs> so that, that's not the, that's not the worst thing in the world. You are now Tom Tom. That before. At, at least, at least he's saying your name. I'm still Pam. Yes, so yeah. I'm still relegated. Which is to... actually caught on in the the Facebook group too. A lot I, of people are calling you Pam, which I, is nice. Yeah, I, I have <laughs> noticed that <laughs> that I am being referred to as Pam. Yeah, I'll take it. I I did I did kind of feel that. Saul's references are definitely getting more obscure. Oh, yeah. He's really—I think he's trying to stump us. I—I I am, it's... but we're going to definitely like 
<laughs> like root them out and and kind of set the record straight. So he mentioned Galtheria procrumbens, which is wintergreen, not winterberry. You and don't something want, you can you consume. Yeah, you can consume. So. It is a native. So um, and it's that's wintergreen. That's mm -hmm. you know uh tea ber or tea berry. It's also called like tea berry gum. If you're old enough to remember that is Galtheria procrumbens. Um, so it's not winterberry. We've already established on a previous buzz that 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 is not uh, consumable. That is not uh, good to eat for humans. For for wildlife, yes. For humans, no. So it is a uh, wintergreen. Um, do we have badgers or wolverines in New Jersey? I don't believe so. I'm actually googling it right now, and uh, that would be a good question for a meal. Yeah, Emil would know. A meal would know that. Emil Devito would know that. But I do love that that Saul was not scared to shoo them out of his garden of loneliness. That he, he... and give himself another injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no pun intended. Um, a a Carmen Gia, for those of you that don't know, if you've ever seen the movie Pretty in Pink, uh, Molly Ring Ringwald drove a Carmen Gia, Volkswagen Carmen Gia, in that. So. That's that's how I learned what a Carmen Ghia was when I was in. I learned what a Carmen Ghia was right now. I am today you, years old <laughs> when I learned what a Carmen Ghia yeah. was. One of these days, I'll share the story on here. Like I'll sidetrack that John Hughes, who who uh, wrote Pretty in Pink. I don't know if he directed that one, but the writer of so many movies was one of my customers. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, and and I I spoke to him quite frequently, and we would email back and forth. Hmm. So I'll, I'll share that story at some point. On. Did I share it? I, I don't not. think so. I don't no. think. Okay. Um, so I think it's not doorknob species <laughs> that's all I was <laughs> yeah. referring to. Dormant. These are plants that go dormant. So um, they die back like a perennial forb mm -hmm. would, would die back to to the ground. So it's more a state of dormancy, not doorknob. Um, <laughs> from Forbes, the old man Forbes was Malcolm Forbes, not, <laughs> not the plant Forbes. So um, – you know there are pictures of him on the internet with Elizabeth Taylor and motorcycles. So I'd like to see if Saul actually had a motorcycle or a scooter. And what kind I of? I think scooter? it was a sidecar guy. Oh, he's not the guy who rode the motorcycle. <laughs> he he rode on the side. <laughs> you know what? That's such a great visual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. Um, I would like to know though if Saul was really friends with Brian Eno, of course, of Roxy Music fame, producer uh, extraordinaire, collaborator with David Bowie. So Oblique Strategies were a set of cards that Brian Eno uh, kind of developed with um, – oh, what's his name? Artist uh, Peter Schmidt, and they cr they used them. It was a set of cards they made with ideas. They used it to spark creativity. Uh, they would use it in the studio or if they were writing a song just to kind of – like if they were at a crossroad, they would pull out mm -hmm. these cards. And that's basically what these pod deck cards are that we use, which we'll use another one today, yeah. but it just kind of sp sparks creativity. It gets you thinking outside of the box, and I really have enjoyed oh, yeah. where yeah, these definitely. go. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's cool. Um, and I guess the last thing for – before we go into Forbes, which is the main reason why mm -hmm. I called you wanted to know more, do we have any pine nuts gear for, for salt? I think we're out of hats and scarves now. We're actually out of hats and scarves, but I'm sure we have mugs. Mm -hmm. We can yeah, send him we'll a mug and maybe some seed. For giving us so much content for yeah. the last few months. <laughs> He's really been a wealth of content. So, And we want Saul to keep calling yeah, also. Definitely. So yeah. hopefully hopefully that will happen. But th both of these calls kind of led into where we were going with this mm -hmm. one. We wanted to start with Forbes because we're not that far around the corner uh, from spring and, and having these things starting to show a sign of life. Actually, we've started seeding in our greenhouses in February. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of these herbaceous species so that we have them ready for sale in two-inch plugs uh, come come April and May. Um, so we really wanted to focus on that with yeah. this episode and just kind of talk about what is a forb and what are the benefits of forbs mm-hmm. or, or some of the characteristics. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, what do you think? Definition? Just yeah. yeah so when you when you look up the definition of a forb, uh, it's an herbaceous flowering plant other than a grass, which is a graminoid. So mm-hmm. um, and it can be an annual, a biennial, or a perennial, and it can't become woody. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't form woody stems. So um, that is by definition a forb. Yeah, yeah, and these tend to be like the heavy hitters. Um, when it comes to pollinators, when it comes to, at least I, I shouldn't say, uh, they probably aren't necessarily the best species for them, but they're the most obvious species for them. This is yep. what people go for when they want to bring pollinators in their garden or bring birds or really all kinds of wildlife. They need these, uh, need forbs yeah. and, and I, wildflowers to to survive. Yeah, and I, you know, I know people like Doug Tallamy are, are touting like a white oak is, mm-hmm. is most important and and there will be more on that when we get yeah, to, yep. to woodies. But, you know, I, the forbs promo- provide throughout a large portion of the year from from uh, mid-spring till late fall mm-hmm. so much uh, – stagger so much bloom time and, and flower type. And, and there's – you know, for, for migrating pollinators, uh, it, it provides so much along the way to help them – uh, gain enough sustenance to, to, to keep moving mm-hmm. along their path. So um, very important for pollinators, very important for wildlife. Um, you know, like uh, I, I saw this when I was doing some research, like a quail actually needs forbs, graminoids, and woodies to survive. Mm-hmm. It can't use just one. So when you're in woods and all you have are, are trees and the understory has gone and there's there's very little – grass or you know that's that's when you start losing habitat so it's important it's not the most important you need all of these and it's it's a lot of speed a lot of species not your uh, outside insects but a lot of species of birds and mammals and snakes all that kind of stuff need a diversity of habitat they like we're talking about forbs today but they need all of those things shrubs included to to survive in their ecosystem, not just for for cover, but a lot of times for food, whether they're eating the plant itself, or in quail's case, where they're eating some plant seeds. But yeah. it's actually more while why these plants are important to them is they bring in insects, and then they can eat the insects. And the insects, yeah. as Doug Tallamy told, especially caterpillars, high in protein, really important in the the developmental stages of these birds, especially because yeah. they can't eat, they can't digest the seeds yet in a lot of cases. So. That's why they're so important. Um, Doug Tallamy focuses a lot on on caterpillars and lepidoptera species, yeah. but uh, but there's a lot of species that are a little eye off this. Whether it's like quail, like you mentioned, yeah. uh, rabbits, deer, turkeys, all kinds of stuff relies um, heavily on forbs. Uh, with deer in particular, that's their their primary browse uh, during the summer. Um, they don't eat a lot of grasses. They'll use them for cover, but they really need forbs, and they can use forbs for cover and uh, and for food. Yeah. So, and a lot of animals are like that. But when you, even if you think of what Sam Thayer says about you know leafy greens, yeah, you know, yep. even for us, you know, sustenance wise, some yeah. of those aren't. Oh yeah. Bad. So some of the the genera, I guess, that are 
really good when it comes to Forbes are are goldenrods are yeah. really good when there's I don't even know a hundred species of goldenrods across yeah. America. Oh, there's yeah, tons. easily, yeah. Um, and they all have their some are better than others, but and different goldenrods overall support 115 different species of insects. Wow. Um, insects are kind of that bond between a lot of plants and that next stage of the food chain. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the reasons they're so important. They support so many insects. Uh, birds love them. Um, they make good uh, well, hiding spots and, and habitat for a lot of different yeah. animal species. So they're really, really uh, important. If you're, I, That's one of the things I always recommend. If you're going to plant something, you're going to plant a forb it's got to be a goldenrod first that's yeah. probably my number one choice yeah a lot of people plant milkweed first the monarchs need gold goldenrod too when they're migrating so and they need all kinds of for it's the caterpillars need milkweed but yeah the and, adults need nectar sources and there's so many different species there's upland uh facultative wet mm -hmm. facultative uh seashore species some that bloom earlier uh, some that bloom later yeah it's, so it, it provides it's a very important one and, yeah. and people people think of it and go oh my allergies yeah it, you know yeah. it's not which isn't necessarily the case yeah. that's and uh, what fran i'll back up what he was saying before that with you have seaside goldenrod or solid yeah. semperviruses for the, the seashore um some of the ones that we grow we have uh, canna goldenrod which is yeah. really really common it's one of the uh like old field species so we talked a little bit about succession i know some people consider that yeah. one a little more aggressive yeah too. it can be in some areas so with forbs a lot of the forbs are early successional species as well yeah. there's stuff that if the best example i say you had a farm field um and then the farmer doesn't farm it for a couple of years and somehow there weren't any invasives a lot of invasives tend to be early successional species too well you're going to see a lot of golden rods in the first really the first year yeah. or two you're going to it's going to be almost all golden rods yeah. um and then a lot of mare's tail and it'll slowly morph and then as we mentioned before, Baptisia yeah. takes a long time. I think in some of these planned meadows, they've seen, they wouldn't even see Baptisia until like year seven yeah. sometimes is when they'd finally discover it in some of these planned meadows. Yeah, you'll get um, But you the goldenrods are come up really easy, come up quick, and they're like Canada goldenrod particularly can yeah. be aggressive. But then you have some smaller, less aggressive species like uh, Salvego casea, which is a uh, blue stem goldenrod. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other ones? Nemoralis. Saldago Nemoralis, uh, which is gray. Gray goldenrod. Uh, Euthamia graminifolia, which is uh, flat, flat top, top goldenrod. There's a, a lot of diversity in the look as well. They all have that same, yeah. I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them have that similar yellow flower. Yeah. Some get but, really tall. Some some stay yeah. short. Some have basal foliage. It's, yeah. Some just get flowers right along the stem. When I, was, when I was looking for plant combinations during Carolyn's call, I was scrolling through my phone and I was like, oh yeah, there was that place we went to in Saratoga uh, Springs oh, yeah. State Park. And I, this was in September and um, I can't remember what one it was now, what the, the Latin name is for it, but it just had little yellow flowers all the way up the stem and no it didn't have that same like cluster, goldenrod yeah. cluster that you think but it was all along the stem it was really really cool uh solidaga rugosa i think is stiff stem goldenrod solid a wrinkle leaf a goldenrod. Wrinkle, wrinkle leaf goldenrod yeah. um solidago uh junkie for juncie i'm i forget the pronunciation yeah. uh is early goldenrod and that one blooms We'll even see it end of July sometimes. Yeah. It'll be July and August, and it's fading out as all these other goldenrods are coming in. Yeah. So, th so, yeah, that's a really important one. And one plant that you always see along with goldenrod are asters. Yeah. So both of these are really important mainly because it's it's a 
mid to late summer into the fall mm-hmm. so and and you're you're extending that bloom period out so it's really really yeah. important late late season species and, and why it's important to blend that or um, extend that bloom period is because this is like the last chance for a lot of pollinators and birds and all these other things to get that last bit of food yeah. for either the next leg of their journey or before the winter when they're they're starting to slow down their metabolism a little bit yeah. um, and they aren't going to have the opportunity to get anything until that next year either they're laying eggs there's all different kinds of things that they need that energy for mm-hmm. and you have high energy food sources um, or high nutrition food sources to get them through that next step i do want to back up we yeah. mentioned allergies and then i cut you off oh yeah sorry go ahead one of the things with goldenrods and i'm sure a lot of you, you already know this but a lot of people think they have goldenrod allergies so when i say hey you should be planting goldenrods there's well, i'm not going to do it because i'm allergic i don't there's probably someone who's allergic yeah. to goldenrod actually but most people are really allergic to ragweed um and the defining feature with this is goldenrod is pollinator, pollinated, ragweed is wind pollinated. pollinated yeah. So the pollen that's in the air when you're seeing the goldenrod is ragweed, ragweed. pollen. Yeah. And that's what you're you're really allergic to. But I'm allergic to everything, yeah. Yeah. actually, pretty <laughs> yeah. much. I have just about every allergy, <laughs> yeah. get, except for, for peanuts. That's yeah. one that yeah. I know. Other nuts, yeah. You just don't like peanuts. I just don't like <laughs> The smell makes me nauseous. That's like fran repellent. Yeah. You just have to have, like, open peanut butter. So so don't be scared of the golden rods. You're, not act- you're probably not actually allergic to them. Yeah. But, but uh-huh. you know, the, the asters are another uh, uh, genus where you have multiple colors – you know, you have blues and purples mm-hmm. and whites, and yep. there's some that are fragrant and some that are, are swamp-loving and some that are upland. There's such a large diversity of flower size and flower uh, color for asters. It's You can get a nice mix and, and, and stagger those bloom times yeah. out a lot. Oh, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we grow uh, New York aster and New England aster. But uh, there's a, a ton of other ones with um, what's it, smooth blue aster. Yeah. Is Aster uh, Leve, yeah. or now there's Symphiotrichum Leve. Um, what is the Eurybia divericata was the, the one yeah. we mentioned earlier. Uh, what's that, Oblonifolius? Uh, yeah, uh, Symphiotrichum Oblonifolium. Which is, is fragrant? I think it's fragrant Aster. <laughs> We're both there you go. We're, hey, I think, let's talk about these plants are. that we think we That's, know what they one are. Of, one of the things we have issues with, uh, this is a little aside at the nursery, is we deal we've talked about this before yeah. we deal almost exclusively in the botanical names yeah so sometimes we'll we'll say the common names to be hip with all the listeners <laughs> <laughs> talking their language so they know what we're talking yeah, about yeah sometimes we're like oh yeah I'm, is that actually the common name or is i'm not is real hip not? No, but, no i'm not real hip but there's there's a great diversity out there um and, and tons of native asters. Uh, and one of the ones that I kept seeing in the fall, people, it was all over Facebook. People were saying, hey, who, what is this plant? It was Heath Aster, yeah. which is, I'm looking up the common name now, but that was a, a whiter aster, really small flowers, yeah. likes the edges of farm fields. I think one of the other common names was uh, like farm field aster or something yeah. like that. But, so, you know, and, and other than we, we, we talked about goldenrods and asters, another uh, huge one is Joe Pie. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, there's a, a lot of different sizes, um, and especially with that, there's there's a and and with the asters, there's a lot of cultivars with that, like mm-hmm. purple dome aster and uh, little Joe for someone that wants a, like a small Joe pie yep. weed. But the straight species, you're, you know, to me, 
and Joe Pie can be some more of the majestic forbs. Oh, Those yeah. are definitely yeah. taller, larger flowers. You get a lot of bang for the buck with uh, Lepidoptera and things like that. Yeah, so. I like to call them uh, like the, the helicopter landing pads for butterflies. <laughs> yeah. Because it just has that big flower head. And I, I remember it was last, uh, probably August, I was mowing my lawn and pulled up to my native garden out in front of my house, and there was six um well they were all swallowtails uh butterflies on two different uh stalks of a uh, joe pie weed i think there was four on one head and two on mm -hmm. the other but there was uh some tiger swallowtails and black swallowtails i forget the number oh, but is... i tried to i tried to get pictures of that and it didn't Damn. just come out good but it was like this giant flower had all these butterflies on it it was really cool to see that so yeah no, that's great. I mean, and you have purpurea, maculatum, fistulosum. Mm -hmm. Like, there's white, there's pink, there's uh, larger flowers, larger leaves. Mm -hmm. There, there's a, a ton of diversity, and most of them are like in that faculty, that middle of the road, yeah, facultative. Yeah. Uh, so, you get a lot of bang for the buck with that. You can definitely give them a little more space, and and they provide a, a good backdrop to some of the smaller forbs mm -hmm. that you can put in there. Um, yeah. What are some of the other ones you want to cover? I'm going to – because I don't – well, one of the ones that was – when I was doing the research yeah. for this that came up was geraniums, which we only grow the wild geranium. The maculatum, yeah. Uh, geranium maculatum. And I didn't realize it was as good of a forb as it was, but I know it stays low to the ground, yeah. uh, like shade. That's So yeah. if you're looking for something like shade, that – here's another plant combo for you is uh, geranium maculatum and aquilegia canadensis. Oh, that's nice. That's a cool combo too because they both like shade. Uh, they both stay pretty low to the ground. Yeah. The The – Aquilegia, which is red columbine, has a stalk that comes up with a flower, a little bell-shaped flower Kinda on top. hangs over top. So that's a cool combo. Yeah, we tend to grow more sun-loving uh, perennials, yeah. so mm -hmm. that's 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 why it's, we're yeah. limited on the shade-loving perennials. Yeah. But and then uh, I'm not as familiar with this plant, but one that kind of fits that demographic, I think, is Packer aria, yeah. which um, I know a lot of people like. That's with North Creek, who when yeah. Steve was on, that's one of the things they grow quite a bit yeah. of. Um, but we'll skip to Asclepius, which is uh, it. we we've sung yeah. the praises of Asclepius. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we and and again, you have upland and wetlands. Mm -hmm. You have uh, a, a multitude of flower colors from orange to pink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the big thing there is you're finding ones that are native to your area yeah. and. Uh, Unless it's native to your area, don't get the tropical milkweed because yes. there's a lot of problems with the monarchs with that. Um, one of them being it's well, it's so commonly produced. It's I shouldn't say I'm trying to find the right way to say it, but uh, depending on the grower, it's not always neonicotinoid free. Yeah. So with for if you're raising caterpillars. Uh, and it's not neonic-free with the caterpillars. You're going to be eating that plant, and yeah. uh, that's a death sentence for them in some cases. Yes. So you want to watch out for that. And in a lot it, because it keeps that long bloom time, um, it'll keep the monarchs around a little bit too long. Sometimes when it gets too cold for them as well. So that's yeah. why I've seen all over. They say don't. They don't recommend planting that one unless. Yeah. And that's a uh, Asclepius curassava. I think so. Yeah. I'm probably screwing yeah. up the name the the botanical name there but 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 you can use tuberosa which stays yeah. lower which is the, the butterfly weed one. the orange one uh syriaca which is common which gets taller mm -hmm. swamp milkweed um asclepias incarnata is another great yeah. one then uh, you have all the ones out west purpureums which is native here as well um 
uh, out west you have like poke milkweed and antelope antelope horns and there's all kinds of and i'm just not familiar. um yeah I'm, I'm not as familiar with them as well even though we sourced a lot of them it's we've kind of stuck to a handful of species that uh we could find all over this was the with the monarchs and the rough thing is the price of milkweed seed in particular could be uh very very broad and it seemed oh, like yeah. syriaca was tended to be pretty inexpensive tuberosa sometimes was inexpensive um and we were dealing with a program that had a budget so we couldn't get into some of the really cool ones like antelope horns and yeah poke milkweed and and those but yeah. and, um, and they're not as as common so it's yeah you know it's but it's just just as interesting yep so yeah. um and that's like uh you'll see a graphic on our website that i think went up a couple days ago um that you can actually eat milkweed uh, contrary to, to what you might have heard that it's poisonous well it is poisonous but if you if you treat it right you blanch it and or you boil it and get some of those toxins out it is edible yeah and yeah. Uh, the spring shoots are similar to asparagus yeah. you can eat the pods when they're they're new yeah so yeah. those those are great i i love minarda species um yeah. between minarda oh, yeah. and and just joe pie you, you know you have the diversity in joe pie like uh um blue mist flower mm -hmm. you know to to yeah we purple forgot about that. yeah eupatorium yeah. perfoliatum but you know minarda you have didyma and fistulosa uh which is wild bergamot mm -hmm. and and uh bee balm you know there's there's spotted bee balm which is minarda punctata that which is great cool. for yeah. you know it's a very different look and pollinators love that when they flock to that one so mm -hmm. um and then you have your also in that mint family is your picnanthemums yeah. um which we grow the tenia folium and yes. the virginianum uh virginia mountain lint mint and slender mountain mint yeah. uh virginia is virginianum slender is tenia folium yeah. um but those are some pollinator magnets man yeah. they yeah. love the the picnanthemums totally so but totally. um the other thing we found with those species uh which i've heard contrasting information but we found they tend to be a little bit more deer resistant because yeah. they're just a the little fragrance. more fragrant. Yeah. But then I've heard other people say that they mow down their field of fistulosa and they stay away from the things that we have deer problems on no, here. So I think it's preference for where you are you, too. You know, and I've seen, I know there's books about deer resistant native plants and things like that, but in almost every instance I've seen deer eat just about every native plant, mm -hmm. even things that I've, American holly, things like that. It depends yeah. on the severity and, and what's available, food source available. So it's, you know that's what they've co-evolved with they've learned to eat these things they know in a pinch if nothing else is available they can get away with eating this yeah, you know yeah. um so it's i i don't recommend anything personally based on deer resistance yeah, but yeah. that's one that yeah de depending on what else is available with mm -hmm. the fragrance that you know in the mint family they tend to stay away with the, you know unless they have to yeah yeah <laughs> if i were starving i'd, I'd start getting real creative yeah. on, on, on oh yeah on a, you know I, i'd even eat peanut butter yeah. if i were starving so so uh, some of the other stuff was um a lot of the cone flowers yeah are really good for for starting your garden one because they're highly recognizable you look at uh well black-eyed susans or your your becchia species and then your echinacea species people know them yeah so it's that's that we've said before that gateway into native gardening is well i've gone to the garden center and seen purple coneflower before yeah. i've seen black-eyed susans before i didn't know they were native so no. natives must be good yeah um it's you, a good introduction to get into it and they they attract things like goldfinch that love yep. eating on the seed heads and things like that so it's you know you're starting to attract some different birds 
with, with some of these species, yeah. uh, edge habitat birds, that mm -hmm. type of thing. So it's um, there. Coneflowers are some great ones. Yeah. So I'd say like a well, purple coneflower, which is Echinacea purpurea. You have Echinacea pallida, which pallida. is is pale purple coneflower. I think I, so. I, I think forget so. the common name again. Um, and then the Rubecchias, uh, Rubecchia triloba, I mentioned earlier. Um, Rubecchia herta, Rubecchia fulgida. Yeah. Uh, Rubecchia lanceolata is another yeah, one. Which is cut leaf coneflower, so, yeah. yeah there's which is, gets taller really cool and likes wet. It's a facultative wet. Um, you know, uh, some of our favorites, uh, Lobelia, yeah. both the cardinal flower, the cardinalis, and the blue, great blue Lobelia, mm -hmm. uh, syphilitica. You know, if you want hummingbirds, that's exactly. a great uh, – that's a hummingbird magnet. And it's – you know, it's there's not too many pure red flowers when it comes to wetland plants. Yeah. So yep. uh, especially in the northeast. So that's a great choice, you know, that and Minarda didyma, which I think is a facultative. I think it's facultative or – I don't remember. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's it likes it a little bit drier. Yeah. You know, but they have you know again, Lobelia has basal foliage uh, with the flower stalks, and you get blue or red. So mm -hmm. you have you have some really cool combination. Plus, they cross in the wild as well. You get some some pretty unique yeah, flower a... sizes and 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 color combinations. Mm -hmm. We we have that here in our own seed fields yeah. where we get the cross pollination. A uh, couple other ones to wrap up was um, wild strawberry. Yeah, the, that's the, a great one. And another edible. Yeah. Um, some of your ironweeds, New York ironweed in particular, what's that, Vernonia novaborsensis. Mm -hmm. um, we mentioned that one earlier. That gets a little taller. That one's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, some of your native thistles are yeah. not maybe not, not the ideal garden plant, but when it comes to meadows and wild spaces, they provide a lot of value for pollinators. Yeah, and people think of thistle and they think of a nuisance plant, mm -hmm. you know, and it's there there's actually a lot of value into those native thistles. You know, there's a lot of great like all the all the sunflowers, uh you know, that's something you start touching on all that. There's oh, there's yeah. so many as far as sizes and yeah. Oh, do we even talk? About no, we we, are... we 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 glossed right over that. We <laughs> yeah. even talk about. Yeah, some, some of the sunflowers are uh, are awesome. Like the one of my favorites. Now I'm thinking about it is uh, is Helianthus angustifolius, um, which is swamp sunflower. But then you have uh, another Helianthus maximilii is maximilian sunflower. Um, Heliopsis helianthoides is is false sunflower, oxeye yeah. sunflower. Uh, all tend to get pretty tall. Of those three, get to get pretty tall and um, but just have such a cool flower head. And they're the swamp sunflower in particular is like yeah. almost imposing when e when you go e through oh, a field of it. Yeah, because uh, it's tall, it's yellow, it's flopping over at you. It's, it's actually imposing to like walk through it. <laughs> it you glows. know, and it, yeah, yeah, it, it it totally does. So I I thought it. You know, it, it would be a good idea for both of us to, to mention what our favorite forests are, mm -hmm. but it's no surprise because we've actually we've said, said this. Both we've said it before. before. So, um, and mine obviously is Irish Versicolor. I just think that's such a versatile and and there's a beauty and elegance in its in in its simplicity. Um, mm -hmm. And and that one's always been a favorite for me. And it's just an early bloomer, and it's and I like to even even though it's early, it's something that hummingbirds yeah. like. So it's. Yep. Um, fighter remediation uh, it can be used for there's so many so many it, it's so versatile even though it's an obligate it's it can take it can take dry conditions it's great in a rain garden yeah. so it's 
I, I just love the beauty of that yeah. one. And way back when, and it was our first or second episode, when we were asked this question, episode, what was yeah. our favorite native plant, yeah. I said uh, Liatris piccata, and I'm going to stick with that. All right, awesome. Um, although there's a ton of different Liatrises, especially when you get out into the Midwest, oh, yeah. Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, Liatris squarosa, uh, Liatris graminifolia, I think yeah. is common in the southeast. Um, there's some really cool ones where uh, Liatris spicata has that long, slender, uh, same same basal foliage, but then has a long, slender shoot that comes up that gets covered yeah. in little tiny, fuzzy, purple, um, like almost like dusters, feather dusters, <laughs> it almost you, looks like. You know, but, it's, uh, so many of, of these things that we're mentioning, too, make great cut flowers. Like yeah. Liatris spicata is a great... Yeah. Uh, great to cut with a vase like with Ver mm -hmm. verona castrum and uh you know purple cone flower yeah, a lot of these yeah. make great cut you know if you have them in your garden you get to enjoy them as well besides providing yeah, great we habitat we even talk about a uh, verona castrum virginicum which yeah. is oh crap I'm white snake culver's root culver's root, culver's root. Sorry, yeah. yeah yeah um but why i like the liatris piccata too is with that long slender flower stalk yeah it gives you a different um angle for for pictures of butterflies the yeah, butterflies yeah. love it and they'll land on it and now instead of being uh, i guess horizontal they're vertical, vertical with the wings hanging off the back and you can really frame that stalk in a way where you get the stalk kind of like filling up a quarter of the frame on one side and then the butterflies centered and oh, it looks yeah. really cool and then plus, you can blur the background it's plus that thread like foliage showy. it's it's a, it's a unique looking plant oh, yeah. it's it's definitely yeah. um and it's not something that flops over or yeah. you know it's it's got a pretty stiff stalk yeah. to it any so. other things that you, we we might have missed that you're thinking of that we uh, should mention i'm sure we missed a ton the only one i came up was eurinchium yuccafolium which isn't oh, which necessarily is... nate it's extirpated in new jersey yeah um but uh that's if you want that like desert southwest look yeah that's, that's a cool that's one. that's a great so. look yeah no, I yeah. think that's you know obviously there's we could go on for we could go on this forever. This already turned into a ramble. Yeah, it, it has, <laughs> it has. But that that gives you some great ideas. Plus, yeah. between our callers, uh, they gave you some great color combinations. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, make sure you're matching up when you're you're making these selections. You're you're matching up. Remember, a lot of these plants there's a lot of versatility as far as oh, yeah. wetland indicator status, sun and shade highlights, flower mm -hmm. color heights. Um, you can really you know basal foliage you can you can easily make a wonderful looking uh habitat in your yard that mm -hmm. that everyone can enjoy and be a part of so um i think that wraps it up not for the whole show no 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 segment. you I, still have the complaint you know you and, haven't and, complained uh, once well no, i guess you kind of complained about the noise yeah <laughs> you, you know I, and i'm all right I'm, I'm gonna play my my theme music first so I, I'm hesitant to make this reoccurring every week because I don't want to complain. I think even though I complain a lot, <laughs> I would say I'm relatively a positive person, even though it's – You're the most positive person that complains, complains. on an hourly basis. It's <laughs> which is true, which yeah, is true. Yeah. I, I think I have a positive outlook, but I do have a tendency to complain. So I don't want it to go into rants or complaints. But one thing that I thought of – I actually hadn't worked this into the buzz – but you had recently posted, I think it was in our Facebook group, um, something about invasives, and they were talking mm -hmm. about Bradford pear. Now, and they did specify calorie pear, also known as Bradford pear. So, this has always been a huge uh, gripe for me: is that Bradford pear is a cultivar 
of calorie pair. So Pyrus caloriana is the invasive. So, but it, Bradford is the most recognizable name mm-hmm. that people just tend to call it. They see it and say Bradford pear. But where I get concerned is that there's multiple cultivars mm-hmm. of calorie pear. There's Cleveland Select and Chanticleer, which I, I think they found out they were actually the same plant. Yeah. Um, aristocrat, because it's different head head types. There's, But there's a lot of different cultivars. And when people think Bradford pear is the bad one, they can go out and say, oh, well, this is an aristocrat pear. This one's mm-hmm. not invasive. Yeah. No, it's they're all calorie pears and they're all invasive you know they're not mm-hmm. sterile they all provide seed that gets dispersed uh birds easily carry that yeah. and and yeah. we we've, we've talked about on numerous occasions and in, in videos and on the podcast just how bad that plant is so just remember bradford is just one cultivar mm-hmm. of calorie pear be aware of all calorie pears so pyrus yeah. caloriana bradford aristocrat any of them they're they all have that significance as mm. as far as being bad yeah that's and that's good advice because i i use the terms almost interchangeably yeah um and obviously i know the difference yeah. but if i'm using a presentation well the yeah. people i'm talking to might not know the difference so yeah and that's it's important to to make sure you distinguish that they are well it's a like that a square is a rectangle but not every rectangle is a square thing yeah but um yeah that you identify that they are separate things but uh but they're both oh totally yeah yeah. you know now the difference in cultivars are are head shape and Mm -hmm. calorie pairs are weak wooded so you know back in the day before everyone knew they were invasive you would pick one over another because it you know Bradford would tend to have bad pruning techniques people would top it it would just sucker up and then they would all split and break Mm -hmm. and they get fire blight that they have so many disease issues as it is already. They were already a problem before they realized how invasive they were. So mm. it's just it's just a plant that if you could stay away from it, there's so many great alternatives to that plant. Yeah. Just just yeah. just stay away. So that's my that's my rant. So I, but I think one. that was an on topic rant. And you kept it short and to the point. There you go. Right. So time wise, we're actually like about an hour and twenty two minutes. So. We'll do a, a quick pod deck, yeah, and yep. then we'll wrap it up. All mm-hmm. right. So I have my, I have so many screens open on my computer, <laughs> I can't even see the zoom, the zoom. So, what are the odds I pick interview your significant <laughs> yeah. other again? We're gonna have to do that one soon too. Yeah, we are. Okay. So, I'm going to pick one randomly. Talk about your favorite famous dead person. That's going to be a problem for me because I don't, <laughs> I don't know who's dead or alive in a lot of cases. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, all right, you want me to go first? I could have sworn. Well, this is back in like the holiday movies, the, all the crappy like Lifetime holiday movies. My wife and I were watching one, and I could have sworn it was Wilf- Wilford Brimley that was in it. And I was like, yeah, he like just died too. And I was, I think I was right on part of it, but it wasn't Wilford Brimley. It was another guy. <laughs> All right. Well, I actually have one, and it, yeah. it, it ties into something I talked about earlier about John Hughes. Mm-hmm. So John Hughes passed away uh, at an early age, and um, so as a, as a teenager growing up in the 80s, I was a huge fan of John Hughes because he was mm-hmm. responsible for so many movies that spoke to teens at that 
the time frame. So uh, the Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, mm-hmm. Weird Science, and then you add on Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, like all these great, some kind of wonderful, um, all these great movies that he was associated with. In part, whether he wrote or directed, so. I could quote so many of his movies as mm-hmm. a teen, like he spoke to our generation or my generation as at that time. So when I was working at Princeton Nurseries, I inherited his account. Um, he uh, living in Illinois, where most of his uh, movies take place, Shermer, Illinois, which doesn't exist, but he lived in Harvard, Illinois, and um, my boss at the time he called in there, and it was at a time where nursery stock wasn't moving really well and he called at the end of the day when he was trying to leave mm-hmm. and started ordering trailer loads of trees and my boss thought it was a prank he thought someone was actually pranking him because no one was ordering trees <laughs> yeah. like large caliper trees at that that time frame so he he was like who is this again and he was like oh this is john hughes you know i got the idea to start an arboretum on my property from my good friend john candy then it mm. clicked for him. So, and you know, this was Zach, uh, yeah. our friend yep. Zach. So, um, and as soon as he realized who it was, John Hughes was like, I got to go. So, <laughs> you know, but he became a reoccurring customer and he just wanted to talk plants. So, when, when Zach uh, left and went to another nursery, I acquired the account and John would always call at the end of the day and he would just want to talk plants and he would want to talk plants for hours. Like the phone calls mm. would be an hour to two hours. You know, and I love the fact that I was getting to talk with one of my heroes, but you couldn't talk industry with him or the, yeah. the phone call ended. Like you had to be professional. He wanted to talk plants. He was very knowledgeable, but he didn't want to talk about being a writer, director or anything like that. So you yeah. kind of had to steer away from that. So yeah. I, I'm making this a long story. So <laughs> the, I finally got up enough courage. The name of his, his arboretum was Red Wing Farm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a huge, even though growing up in the Philadelphia area, and I love the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. I'm a Red Wings fan and have been since like 1983. So I wanted to ask him how he got the name for, for Red Wing Farm, and I finally said, uh, how, you know, what did you name Red Wing Farm after? And he was like, Why do you ask? Like, and it stopped. Like the tone changed, and I was like, Oh, well, I'm a Red Wings fan. I have been since Steve Eiserman's rookie year. And he goes, Oh, I named it after the Red Wing Blackbird. But, you know, I forgot in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Cameron wears a Gordie Howe Red Wings jersey. So I'm like, he's probably thinking, oh, so and he he goes, oh, you know, I have a funny story for you. I, you know, I grew up in Detroit, but I live in Chicago and I raised my kids here. So I become a Blackhawks fan and and me and my kids have have season tickets. So we're going to a game uh, against the Blackhawks versus the Red Wings and I'm driving in and we're in my truck and as I'm pulling through the parking lot everyone's giving me the finger and yelling at me and he goes and it's not just one or two people it's like consistent like people are like yelling and he's like wow was my me- last movie that bad like they all hate <laughs> yeah. me that bad and he goes so we park and I get out of the truck and I realize I'm in my Red Wing farm truck and they're playing the Red Wings oh, at yeah. night and everyone's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after that we started talking about move. we would email each other we would talk about um you know, if the Red Wings were playing the Blackhawks or something like that, he would just shoot me an email, you know, in reference to, to hockey all mm-hmm. the time. But, you know, and, and I got invited out. Fred, I'm sorry to yeah. – I was just looking up and there's smoke coming out of the ceiling. Yeah, I think we're safe. I think I hear a drill or a saw. <laughs> yeah. so. But he did invite me out 
to his property. I was his sales rep because I, I covered the Midwest. And uh, the one time I was going out there, I offered to drop off the new catalog. And he goes, oh, I'm actually going to be in New York filming a movie, so I won't be able to catch up. And he passed away shortly after. Oh, you wow. can really smell that now, yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. No. Hey, we're yeah. almost done. <laughs> we're almost done. So, so, but that's my that's my John Hughes, my John Who Hughes, knew my that favorite when dead you, person. When you said and referenced him earlier, that this was going to be the episode. I, I had no idea. Story. You were pushing <laughs> it off. No. I had no idea. Yeah. That's that's perfect. I I told it now. Yeah. This is a. I don't want anyone to think this is a cop out, but I didn't want to keep it somewhat podcast or plant relative yeah. relevant again. And I, I'm going to say Ava Leopold. Uh, that's an um, awesome one. And only reason I would say people might think it's a cop out is because he's so uh, inspirational in so many people's lives and it's someone that i'd want to sit down with he's i would love to have a chat fathers of conservation oh so we i i don't know if if we would have this business or we'd be doing what we're doing without him oh yeah and that actually kind of ties into our next podcast Mm -hmm. which will be the government's uh, the next rooted discussion it's been a while but um the government's role in restoration and i think that should be interesting. We we did find out. We're not sure at this point if Emil DeVito is going to be able to make it, but we still have a good uh, lineup mm-hmm. regardless and, and some yeah, good Everyone topics. else is in for – we have a, a day and there, a time. There may just Emil be a conflict. Just, it might have a conflict, so we're hoping he can make it. But yeah, I agree. It's, it'll be good regardless uh, if he's there or not. Yeah. Although I was – after our last episode with Emil, um, and those of you who know Emil, he is very um, demonstrative and, and you can get him fired up pretty yeah. easily and he was so reserved it was a different side of a meal i was used to seeing yeah um, oh. still very good but uh there weren't any fireworks he was behaving so he, he was very well behaved <laughs> behaving. and this was we were really yeah. going to try and lure him out of his shell with, uh, with, uh, with this totally. uh, government and restoration totally. episode but although leopold i actually that was my first thought yeah. when i saw that yeah. but i thought john hughes was actually kind of industry related mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool to get to talk get to talk shop as far as yeah. plants go, with one of my childhood heroes, mm-hmm. that he was a hero for a different reason, but we had a common interest that we got to talk about for hours. You know, I can probably accumulate over my career like like twenty hours worth of com- yeah. tree conversations with John Hughes, which yep. was definitely a highlight for me. I would I would get all giddy. It was like I'd because who's calling? Because who I talked to? It's so awesome, you know. But. uh you know, even our drivers, when they would go out to see him, he would give tours mm-hmm. on a golf cart yeah. for anyone that came. He was so proud of the arboretum he had built. Wow. It was like a huge accomplishment for him. Yeah, so that's very it was, cool. It was very, not, not something very many people know about him. Yeah. About so Cool. So that is it. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, again, for tuning in to Native Plants Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we're as always. We're giving a huge thank you to R.J. Comer uh, for our Buzz D music, and we're going to premiere uh, his music with um, uh, Rooted Discussions. Uh, so that will have its own music. Are you Are you looking at the smoking? No, uh, I was. I was <laughs> the sound. It sounds like I, I can hear it. I probably I think no we one have else can hear it. Again, so <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I'm hearing. So uh, make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. More of you have been following us there. We really appreciate mm-hmm. that. We'll get better at putting up more content there. Um, you can follow us at Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube. We we hit our goal. Yes, we're, we did. We're well over the goal. Yeah. We're just waiting to be able to turn on that custom 
custom uh, URL. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, but right now, if you just search Pinelands Nursery, uh, you'll you'll get our YouTube page. If you have a question or comment, uh, you can call us at the question and comment line, just like Saul and Carolyn did, mm-hmm. even Kelly Kelly Gill did today. Uh, call us at two one five three four six six one eight nine. Again, that's two one five three four six six one eight nine. Ask a question, leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz, just like we did today, and and we'll answer or we'll phone a friend. We'll yeah. have a friend answer. Oh, yeah. You never know who's going to call in or who's going to answer. <laughs> we're, we're, we're making it a huge mystery from this point forward. Um, and I know we talked about it before, but the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, a great – you know, a lot of people asking great questions. I think there's going to be a Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, book, book group, club. Yeah. book club now, yeah. which I'm excited about. And maybe they'll read – Braiding sweetgrass with Robin Wall. You, you know what? Maybe after this episode, I'll go on I and think say, a lot of you them do, read it "Yeah, already, that's." A, I'm but, just behind the. Yeah. I'm behind, but that's great. I'm just such a slow reader. I'm, I'm hesitant to commit mm-hmm. because of how slow I read. So, but uh, definitely, uh, if you haven't joined, please join. Uh, you'll find the conversation great there. Yeah, yeah. We want to keep that conversation going, and um, as always, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www. NativePlantsHealthyPlanet.com. You can also check us out at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. Yeah. Uh, make sure when you're there, subscribe, leave a review, and share this with a friend. We want to keep this message, spread this message. Um, if you didn't share last week, share this week, because this is a good week to to really get people, give them a, a baseline to start with some forbs. And That's the big, big jump is, yeah. well, I don't know what to plant. And you could find all kinds of resources out there. Are, but are we committing to the next buzz? Are we doing graminoids? Yeah, we're going to do graminoids next. All right. So the next yeah. one will be the next in our series will be graminoids. So it's a great one to to share this one with someone because they have something to look forward to with exactly. the next one. They'll all yep. kind of tie in together. Plus, Saul called this one, so it's a great to introduce yeah everyone oh, yeah. to Saul. But we really need to thank all of you for making the circle bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been amazing. The amount we we got like three or four more five-star reviews yeah. um and we're at a point where each episode is bigger than the last and yeah. like we're we keep wondering well how how many listens can we get and we keep exceeding what we think so we're it's uh we're humbled by it and yeah. but at the same time like i was saying in the beginning it's important we get this message out there um and it we're just starting conversation so yeah and it's it's nice to see that it's a conversation that people want to yeah. hear or be a part yeah. of and as always, if you if you can't get your friend to go listen, next time you're over their house, which you shouldn't be, it's COVID times. You yes. shouldn't be visiting. Anybody. Yeah. Let's say you're over over a family member's <laughs> house and they don't they don't want to listen to. Just say, hey Alexa, play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, and uh, and that'll get us a listen. Yeah, if you're regard. on Zoom and you can see in a like an Alexa <laughs> enabled device behind, just say it on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. You know, see if it works. So with that, thank you everyone. I'm Tom and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. We will see you on the next episode, which will be a rooted discussion. We're excited about. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.